Well, we're right in the middle of a, a sermon series. We're taking a break this week, but we're right, right in the middle of a sermon series called Life in Christ. And, and I just want to give a nod to it because it's kind of funny. I said we're going to take a break from that and get into something else. We're going to spend this week on Palm Sunday, right? This is the beginning of Holy Week, we say in the Christian calendar. And then next Sunday, we celebrate, as Corey said earlier, the thing that changed everything forever. Right? And that's the Easter resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so these two weeks, we're kind of taking a break from what we've been studying in First John. But we're going to jump into the, uh, the Gospel of John to hear his recounting of the story of Jesus. And so uh, I hope um, we'll be blessed today by what the Lord has revealed to us. As we enter the Word, let's enter in prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Father, today we come before you confessing that you are the giver of true life that you are the one that's doing real transformation in our lives, and that by your grace and mercy, we are being conformed to the image of the one who made us. And so today, we give you thanks and praise for that. We pray, Lord, this time this morning wouldn't just be time idly spent, but it would be time being formed, being rebuked if we need to be rebuked, being encouraged where we need to be encouraged to grow more like you. And Lord, may it be for your glory and for the benefit of your people. We love you and thank you. We give you our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our ears, our hands, and everything this morning, Lord, that we might experience you fully. Trust you with everything, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to go ahead and have you, if you brought a Bible this morning, we're going to be studying out of the, the book of the Gospel of John. Um, if you didn't bring one, we have them on the tables for you, or probably near your chairs if you're in some of the chairs. It's going to be on 747, right, of those uh, Bibles that we provide. If you have your own, you can probably find it. It's one of the four Gospels. It's in the New Testament, and it's about that far, you know, toward the back. So if you need to kind of get up. By the way, looking at the table contents is not cheating. That's actually good scholarly work with the Bible. So don't ever be afraid to do that. So I, I want to really get, and what was really funny this morning, I had taken, um, you might have seen a few of these things around here, Nathan's got one of his very own there. Uh, I didn't realize how, how much neat freaks our children were. Did you notice that this morning? I walked around this morning, and I dropped some of these things on the floor. Maybe it was some of you. A few of you said, hey, you, you dropped something. Because I was just kind of walking around dropping stuff. Did you guys know you had a front row seat this morning? You didn't know that was a front row seat? It could be. How's it going, Andy? So I dropped a few of these things this morning, and what was funny is that the kids, some of them picked them up. My kids hit each other in the face with them, which wasn't great, right? But they picked them up, and they kind of waved them around, and then my, you know, fanning themselves with them, and they were just having a good time. And, and um, that's because we're going to talk this morning about what it means that it was Palm Sunday, what it means, and, and what today, that last song we sang, How He Loves Us. I pray that's where we get in our hearts today, church, because to know what Jesus did for us is to be amazed, just to be overwhelmed with his love. And so I'm going to go ahead and read through here. I'm just going to read what we're going to talk about this morning, and we'll talk through it a little bit. Starting in verse 9 of chapter 12, on page 747, if you're using one of our Bibles, this is what the Word says to us. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews gathered, or found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. 
They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a colt, a donkey's colt. At first, the disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he was, had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone out after him. This is the word of God. And this is what we call the gospel, right? There's four of these in the Bible. We call them the gospel because they are the firsthand accounts of people who stood, walked, touched, heard, and learned from Jesus Christ, right? They were those privileged few who got to be there with him on the road. And so we call this the good news of John. I want to give a little background here because you'll notice a name popped up a couple times there. If you'll see it, it's mentioned Right there in chapter 9, or verse 9, and, and later on in around verse 17, it says, this guy named Lazarus, right? This is kind of a big deal. And I'll tell you, if you know anything about Jesus' ministry, you'll know that he kind of hung around for 30-some-odd, like 30-ish years, as, you know, you or I, it would seem. I mean, there was a few things in the temple and stuff when he was a kid, but basically, you know, nothing that people were paying that much attention to. And then he was baptized, and so we talked about this somewhat as a church. And then his ministry began, which is about three years of ministry, right, that we have recorded in the Gospels here. And so Jesus had done many things in his ministry, but one of the things he did is first he went and got some regular old folks to follow him, right? Some people were kind of cast aside or who were in other professions who were not considered holy men at all. And I will say that the disciples of Jesus were these men who were not considered holy men at all, right? I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and he was talking about how it would take a heck of a man for a fisherman to leave his nets and follow him, Right? It's not just, you're not going to follow anybody, especially not a fisherman, right? And so these guys who were following Jesus around had seen something in him, had heard something from him, had been compelled in some way by the Spirit of God, we would say, to follow Jesus. And that's simply what they did. And these guys were called disciples, right? And that's what we're called to. If we just say, hey, we're going to follow Jesus, we're a disciple of Jesus, it means we're going to learn to be like him. It doesn't mean you are like him instantly. It means you're going to learn to be like him over time. Now, I say all this because these guys had seen some crazy stuff. But one of the things that they had seen were all these miracles he was doing. And there were lots of miracles in the Bible that were recorded, Right? But what happens here is at the culmination, and it's only recorded in the Gospel of John, at the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry, he does this ridiculous thing where he raises a dead man, right? If you want to read about it, you can probably see it there. We're not going to read it this morning, but it's, it's like in chapter 11. But, but and, you know, my favorite line in the King James Version says, he stinketh much, right? Because Lazarus was really dead. As a matter of fact, so dead that when Jesus said, I'm going to go to the tomb, they said, he stinketh much, like he was dead, dead. Forensic science dead. I thought about that. I thought, you know what? Well, how would the Lazarus story be different if he had just coded and Jesus had some kind of a magic shock paddles and just, pop, like on ER, you know, and he backed to life? No, this guy was four days dead, sealed in a tomb, and our Lord Jesus called him out. Called him out. Now, if, if, you, can't get, if you don't struggle with that, if you don't find that hard to believe, 
I'm not sure you're being honest with yourself. That he would stand outside the tomb and he would say, come out, and a dead man would walk out in dead man's clothes. That's what the gospel says. That's what Jesus did. So it created this storm of controversy, especially amongst the religious leaders of the day. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and mention something else here as we get into it this morning. I think it's important to know who's involved in the story. The first is Lazarus, right? And the second is this group called the Pharisees. And I wanted to read this because I was really stunned when I read this myself. But something about the Pharisees, this is what it says. This is from the Strong's Concordance, right, the way you can study the Bible. And it says this, that the Pharisees were a group that started after the Jewish exile, and they had an oral tradition and a standard of belief in life. These guys were like the best of the best religious people. They had it all together, right? And they sought for distinction and praise by outwardly observing the external rites and forms of holiness. Ceremonial washings, fastings, prayer, and giving to the poor. They did all these things. And then it goes on, it kind of makes a commentary about what they were negligent of, which is what Jesus accused them of, genuine piety. They were proud, um, fancy their good works. But listen to this. They held strenuously to a belief in the existence of good and evil, right? They fully expected a Messiah to come. They cherished the hope that the dead, after a preliminary experience of either reward or penalty for their good works, would be called back to life by this Messiah, and then they they would um, be requited, whatever that that means even actually, each according to his individual deeds. So basically their hope was, I just want you to see that these Pharisees weren't like people who wouldn't think a resurrection was possible. They weren't like people who wouldn't think a Messiah was coming. They were people who were waiting for Yahweh to reveal the Messiah. And when Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, their decision is, this guy has got to die. This guy has to go, right? And and I don't want to be unfair to them because they were holy and men. They were serious about following God, but they had missed, missed it. And that's what Jesus kind of says to them is, you all have missed it if you knew my father, you would know me. So all that's to say, that's Lazarus and the Pharisees in this text, right? And so I want to go through and say, uh, uh, there's a large crowd of Jews that had come out. They had found out where Jesus was. And by the way, you know where Jesus was? He was hanging out with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany. It says right at the top, right? Six days before the Passover in verse 1 of chapter 12, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived. You know, I love right away in the story, we hear that after he raises you from the dead, he doesn't abandon you. He hangs out with you. The high holy day, Jesus goes to hang out with Lazarus, right? The one he raised from the dead. And when the crowds who were coming to Jerusalem for the feast days heard he was there, they went out to Lazarus' house. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of John records not just because of Jesus they go out, remember in verse 9, but also to see Lazarus, the one that Jesus had raised from the dead. And so at this point, poor Lazarus is getting death threats. I'm not sure how you kill a guy twice, right? Uh, I'm not sure what the plan was there. I'm not sure why they believe if they killed him again, Jesus couldn't be like, okay, boop, you know what I mean? What are you going to do? I'm God. You know, you can do, I could do this all day. It's a crazy thought, killing a man who was raised from the dead. But they thought it anyway. And so many of these Jews, and I want to point that out too, right? We're mostly Gentiles here. Many of these who were Jews, who were gathering Jerusalem for the feast, were being drawn away by this Jesus. They're being drawn out to this place where this insignificant person lived 
until he was raised from the dead, right? This is how Jesus works, by the way. He draws people to himself, right? And, and so here we have the, the, this um, story. I want to talk about the feast for a moment, right? This feast was the Passover feast, right? Also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We, we do that thing called communion. We did it last Sunday. And that's a remembrance of the Last Supper. That's when Jesus went to Jerusalem and shared that with his disciples, right? And so they were gathering in the feast. And this is all going to become important as we talk about Jesus showing up at that point in time and space and history and changing the world forever. But these guys were coming together and they were remembering, help me remember this, the Exodus. You recall for the Jews that the Exodus was the biggest thing in their history because they were slaves. If you were born into slavery, it would be a pretty miserable life. And to have your God deliver you from slavery, from the hands of your opposers, if you ever want a really inspiring story about how God works in our lives, read the Exodus story. It's in our heritage, right? Not only did God deliver the Jews from uh, Egypt, from their oppressors, from the slave keeper, from the one who would seek to keep them not being the children of God who they were called to be, but on the way out, God had Egypt give them all this stuff as they left. And we all know the story about the sea parted and they went across and the enemies came in and the sea collapsed and God wiped them out and, Egypt, and Israel worshiped God. So this was one of the high holy days for Israel, and they would get together in Jerusalem, everywhere from all across the countryside. They would gather into the city center. They would pack in there for the Passover sacrifice. You remember the first time they sacrificed, they each got a lamb, right? And it said that they were supposed to look at the lamb for four days, checking every piece of it, make sure it was pure, it was holy, it was good enough to save their children, and then they put that blood over their doorposts and they waited for God to pass by. And he did. And in that passing over and in his judgment, he delivered his people. So this is the story of Passover and this is where Jesus is gathering. He's been there before, by the way. He went every year like any good Jew would. But this time he shows up and he pulls back out to Bethany and he hangs out there with Lazarus, this guy he raised from the dead. And he waits and these people are coming out and when they see Lazarus and when they hear Jesus, they get it for the first time. Their whole life they've been sacrificing the temple and they see in Jesus the fulfillment of the, Messi the Messiah, Messianic prophecies, right? That this is the one who was anointed by God to deliver his people. So there's the story. So Lazarus is in danger, but Jesus is hanging out with him. And I'm not sure, I pretty, feel pretty safe when I'm with Jesus, so you know, I'd, I'd take that in a bet. And, and they're, they're waiting. And then here's the story, right? And I want to kind of talk here. We'll, we'll, I'm going to read a little bit and we'll talk about some ways we can look at this. We've heard it so much when we were kids. Remember the palm fronds, right? The kids waving them around. We've heard it so much when we were kids. I want us to, to hear the text maybe for the first time again today. The next day, the great crowd, this great crowd that had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. You can find other places in the scripture where it says, is he going to come? Is he coming? Because they knew that he was threatened to be killed. They knew if Jesus showed up, he would be killed for coming to Jerusalem. And they were anxiously waiting, wondering, will he come, will he come? So they, they took palm branches and they went out to meet him 
and, and they began to shout toward him, right? And this is what we're going to find. And so I, I kind of want to talk, we're going to, there's three pictures here that I want us to get. And the first one is this, it's, it's this picture of the coming king, right? Jesus as king, and I want you to read with me here in the story, as they were gathering for this Passover feast, as, as the, and the, again, they were waiting for Messiah, it says, a great crowd came from the, for the feast, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, right? And they grabbed some palm branches, and they headed toward him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel, right? And so, if you can imagine, and I just love the imagery, by the way, of palm branches anyway, right? Well, why would they have palm branches? They're called palm fronds. I don't know if you guys are fans of warm weather climate or not, like my wife and I are, you know. This thing is kind of a, I'm not sure what plant this even comes off of. It's kind of cute. It's kind of cool. Have you ever seen a palm frond like in the tropics, like near the equator? Those dudes are huge. If you wanted to make some noise, you got one of those great big six, seven foot palm fronds. Man, you could, you could get some attention with it. You could like direct traffic at the airport with it. You know what I mean? You could do a lot with them. And so they, they, they used what they had. They, they, they grabbed the palm fronds and they headed out. Why? Because the king is coming. The king is coming. Oh, I love that response to the people. I love that they used what they had, clambering up a tree, cutting off the stuff, grabbing it probably off the ground, just waving it around, acting crazy. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, right? And, and they grab the palm fronds and they head in. I want you to hear what they, they start to scream toward Jesus. By the way, isn't it interesting that they come out to Jesus? We always think of Jesus coming through the gate, right? And they're waiting there. They're like, you know, lined up on both sides of the road like, yeah, you know? And he's got like the main pathway and they're like, we got a spot for you, you know? No, they go running out to him like, yeah, we can't wait. And then as he goes, I just run up beside him. Yeah, you're, you know, you're coming. The king is finally here. It even says more than that in the other Gospels. It says they threw palm fronds down, right, before him. You ever seen a wedding and they do that with the flowers? It's this holy thing, this blessing, right? It even says they took off their cloaks and they threw them down on the road so his feet wouldn't touch it. And they were serious. They had waited so long for a king. That's such fun to worship like that. I, I want to point out, for those of you who, who hate Greek, um, I'm sorry, uh, Hosanna, do you guys know the word Hosanna? That's Greek. Isn't that cool? That word's preserved for us in the Greek. So somebody says, you know any Greek? Yeah, Hosanna. You know, Hosanna means save us. It means save us. So I want you to get the picture. When they're running towards Jesus, they're not saying, you're the king, you're the man, you're awesome. They're saying, me, save me. Save us. Actually, the me concept was foreign to Israel. Save us. And they're running towards the Messiah, showering him with shouts of praise. By the way, this crying out isn't like they were like, woo. You know, that's how I cheer at ball games and stuff. While the people next to you are like going crazy. I'm a little more subdued. These guys were like out of their heads screaming at Jesus coming to town. This word is used separately. It's not like they were just saying it loudly. They were screaming it. Interestingly enough, one other time that these words, that this word for screaming was used was when Jesus looked in that tomb of his friend Lazarus after weeping and he said, 
come out. You know what I'm saying? Powerful words. They mean it. And they're screaming, save us, save us. Hosanna, make it so. Do it now. This is the time. And these, they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Blessed is this one who comes in his name, in the power of, we talk about that with baptism, in the name of God the Father, the one who's coming down the road, and they talk about this, his, the one who has rule and authority and rights, and he's going to set it right. He's going to fix it all, and he's coming right now. We heard he raised the dead guy. The dead guy is still with him, and he's coming right now. I want to mention something to you these Pharisees who were so upset with Jesus, it was two main reasons they were upset. The first is that a true living God was a threat to their religious establishment. That means you can say all the nice things you want about God and what he's doing and you got it all figured out in your head. But when the living God moves and speaks, you're at a loss for words. You're out of your element. And he's no respecter of men. So the first thing is that it stood as a threat to who, everything that they were raised to be. Religious people. I think in some ways we have that same issue ourselves. We're convinced that we're good and other people aren't. You know, we grade on a curve. Eh, not as bad as them, a little worse than them. I'm trying. Don't. That's being a Pharisee. That's awful thinking because the God who lives, the God who breathes is dwelling among us and he's seeking righteousness for you and for the Pharisees. The second reason that, um, that, that they were, uh, well, I just lost it. It's gone. See how it works? So we'll move on. You believe me? That's the way that works. They, they, there, was, there was two reasons I was going to tell you about. I can't remember. I'll come back to it if it comes back to me. It's liable too, right? So here we go. So they're rolling down the road. The, the palm branches, they're, they're, there's a sign of royalty. This conquering army is coming to town. And, and I want to mention one other thing, that these type of dancing and jubilation was reserved for God himself. Right? There's commands in Leviticus during the Feast of Booths that they would shake palm fronds and run through the streets. Right? This was a, a celebration of God and what he is doing in their lives. The second is, um, so anyway, we're just going to move on. So here's the deal. So the, the, they're, they're throwing the fronds on the road, the, these palm branches. They're much bigger than this, I'm convinced. And, and they're um, um, putting their coats down. By the way, you know what it says in the word right there? It says Jesus found a donkey and sat upon it, right? So he didn't even walk into town at this point. When they come out and they're screaming, save us, save us, he goes and finds a, a donkey, right? And he gets on it. And it says the disciples, right, took their coats, I don't know where my coat's at this morning, and, and threw it over the back of the donkey so that he wouldn't touch the donkey. And then so he's riding the donkey into town. By the way, Jesus has ridden a donkey before. Remember that? Mary, right, going. And... I'm just trying to tie it all together for you, you know what I'm saying? He's had a lot of donkeys in his life. It's okay, you know? And, and so he's right, they're going down the road. But then the people are throwing their jackets, not for Jesus to walk on, but for donkeys to walk on. That's crazy. So there's this coming king. And this is what they're celebrating. This is the first picture we have of Jesus. You know, churches have celebrated it for years on pilgrimages where you celebrate and the high priest or whoever he is for that organization rides on a donkey, kind of. And, and they come through town and they, they try to reenact this whole scene. They make it very royal and very beautiful and, and very lush and very much gold and white and holy. And, and it was. The coming of Jesus. But I want to show you a different picture 
of Jesus coming. And it's this, Jesus' sacrifice. I've already told you that when Jesus is coming to Passover, they aren't just coming because they want to see old friends and family, right? They aren't just coming so that, you know, it's, it's not like, well, maybe it is like Christmas and Easter worshiping. I don't know, you know. But they're coming together because they're going to have an unblemished lamb and they're going to sacrifice it and they're going to ask God yet again to deliver us from our enemies. Do it again. Do it again. And so into this scene rides Jesus and he comes in riding on a donkey. You'll remember the first time that this, the people were passed over, if you will. All of these unblemished lambs were slaughtered. They didn't make the night. And so after Jesus hangs out with his friends at Bethany, he goes and finds a donkey. And his disciples do throw their coats on it, and they're excited. And they're, you could just imagine. As a matter of fact, the disciples at one point got so excited, they started picking out their seats in the kingdom of God, you know, because they were convinced he was going to be their coming king, and he was. But you see, Jesus was coming to Passover for a different reason. And as they put their coats on the donkey, and he sat on it, and they threw their coats down as he rode into town, he came, paraded before them, like that sacrifice. Can you imagine what Jerusalem would have been like during that time of sacrifice? Can you imagine just the logistics of all of that slaughter? Right? Everyone had to have a lamb. There were other offerings going on. I mean, I'm not even a scholar on that stuff, but I just, it would just be a mess. I've, I've field dressed one deer in my life, and that was a mess, right? I mean, can you really imagine the reality of what's happening? And I can see how in this, you watch Jesus coming to town on a donkey, and he is kind of that sacrifice. He's kind of being led, isn't he? He's kind of just sitting there teetering on top of this thing. Like when? Like when he was in his mother's belly, isn't it? With no place to go. And he rides into town, and the people are screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the one that comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And he rides in. I want to point out something else, right? Wouldn't it funny that it says he went and found a young donkey? That's what that, that's, that's the words used one time in the script, in the text. And it says, the young donkey. Other places says, the colt of a donkey. You know what that means? That means that Jesus didn't go and look around and be like, I'm going to find the biggest donkey I can find. Because that's what I would find, right? If you're going to ride in as the coming king, he went and found a baby donkey. Now, I'm not that big of a guy, but I'm big enough. Have you ever ridden a donkey? Right? Isn't that a glorious experience? It's, it's like the weirdest thing. Have you ever ridden a little donkey? I rode a pony once. I thought I was going to kill it. You know what I mean? I want you to get the image in your head that this isn't Jesus on the white steed prancing through. That's actually what the church fathers would do because they could themselves with their egos into getting on a donkey. But not Jesus. He went and found this lowly animal, this little animal, and he sat upon it, right? 
this little donkey. That's literally what it means. Not a big one, a little one, a baby donkey. And he's riding on it. And this begins to look like a joke, like, like a mock trial, like embarrassing in some ways. And you know, it says that he was riding in Jerusalem. It says he, was, he sat upon it. That's an active verb for sitting. There's another place where it says, actually in, in Zechariah, where it says he, he will be fixed upon a donkey. He'll be riding in the saddle. This was, it would almost be hard to stay on that thing. Your disciples put their coats under your rear end, you know what I'm saying? You're slipping around. I mean, it's just going to be weird, the whole thing. And he's coming to town like that. And the people who are throwing their coats in the street and who are racing around with the palm front screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, aren't, aren't the holy and the righteous people. They're the lowly, like peasants and people coming from the farm countries who gathered into the big city for the day of celebration. And they want a savior. And they're throwing their lowly jackets before this tiny donkey that's carrying the Son of God. See, there's a different picture for you, isn't it? Jesus as sacrifice. And the third picture I want you to see this morning, and we're going to kind of wrap up here, is Jesus' as Savior. Because all along I think about me, not on the donkey. How do you think about that? I think about me in the crowds, right? I'd be that guy running out to Jesus going, yeah, you're my king. You're going to deliver me. You're going to rule Maybe if God gave me the grace to see what's happening, to see, I don't know, would I see this sacrifice? Would I even see it then? You know, the good news is, the word says, at that time in verse 16, the disciples did not understand all of this. They were just functioning out of, I don't know what, habit, obligation, obedience. They were just doing their thing. They didn't get it either, but I don't know if I would have seen the sacrifice. But as I really reflected on this Palm Sunday, where we run around, we're screaming, Hosanna, save us, King of kings and Lord of lords. I wonder what that experience was like for Jesus. As he rode to town on the donkey, and as he comes in and sees the shouts of all of his people, the Jews who are coming to faith, the Jews who are abandoning everything they've ever believed, everything that they've ever known for the hope of the Messiah. He sees them running towards him. The whole scene must have been crazy, you know. You think about how high it would have been, the palm fronds, how low the donkey was. I'm not sure you can even see the crowd as he rode through. And... I guarantee you, because I know Jesus, that he's looking in the eyes of the people and he's set out to save them. He doesn't walk among us as one who just wants to ride in for the glory. Jesus has come to save his people and he will do it. Luke 9.51 says this, When the time for Jesus to return to heaven drew near, he set his face toward Jerusalem. That was way early in the text, way early in scripture, where he looks toward Jerusalem and he sets his eye, he sets his mind, and he's going to go. And he's going to do this thing. And he's going to save his people. 
You know what's remarkable? Like those disciples so long ago, we see more than they did. 2,000 years have passed since the Savior rode to town to shouts of save us, save us. And I'm convinced that when he looked into that crowd, he saw redemption for generations. It wasn't even about the people who were shouting. It was about the people who had come before and the people who had come after. It was about the people of God. Later on in John's text, Jesus teaches his disciples this. He says, Greater love has no person than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus wasn't a man of words, but a man of action. He had come to do what he taught. And in that ride through those gates with those men and women screaming, Save us, King of David. Save us, King of Israel. He saw what he had to do. There's one last thing I want to point out to you in the text this morning. It says that these people who had seen Lazarus raised from the tomb ran around professing what they had seen Jesus do, and many believed, right? But it says right before that in verse 16, I love this. It says, only after Jesus was glorified, only after he was raised from the dead himself, did we realize that these things that had been written about him earlier by Zechariah the prophet, and that they had done, listen, and that the disciples had done these things themselves. I want to tell you that wherever you are today in your walk with God, I believe that he is leading you to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe that wherever you are and only looking back, I can tell you that I felt like I was so far from God and only looking back do I see how very near God was the whole time. So the question to us this morning is, how would we respond if we were there on that road? You know? Like, what would that look like for you? Would, would you be shouting for the king who is coming, who is going to set all things right? You know, some really hard questions come out of this text, which is, how far will you follow Jesus when you don't know where he's taking you? How far down that road to the cross will you go with him before you finally turn because you've had enough? Friends, Jesus went all the way. And so today, I want you to know that if you can't find peace with God and you don't know Jesus, that's the reason. Because he went all the way to the cross for you. And I believe, and I, can, I, I just know it, and I pray you do too, that as he rode on that foolish young donkey in front of those screaming throngs of people, and he looked into their eyes, he saw us. He saw our children, and he saw all the generations that were going to be saved through his faithfulness. And so today I hope that if you don't know him, you would just be honest about asking that question. Do I get it? Do I understand what he did? 
Let's pray. Father, today, we stand before you as a people who've known you and yet don't fully know you. We stand, Lord, today as people who've only come to to see the truth of Jesus through the grace and the glory of your Holy Spirit. And today, Father, I pray that if there are folks among us that don't believe you, that don't trust you, Lord, you know, your, your apostle said, I wrote these that they might believe and have life forever. I pray that your spirit would work that miracle in their life. I pray today, Lord, that if, if we are those disciples and if we've been following you and yet you get to that gate and we say, Jesus, we can't go, I pray that you would compel us to finish the work. I pray that it would not be a righteousness of our own because that does us no good, but that we would have your cloak, that we would have your covering, and we would be glorifying to you through you. So today, Father, I pray that uh, you would work in your, the hearts of your people as you will and bring glory to your name and that your people can then come to the gates of the king and see the kingdom and see the glory and shout out, Hosanna. Father, I shout out thanks. Thanks for saving us. Give you praise and glory in the name of all names, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I give you praise, Father, in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen.